talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective, and I'm here with my co-host, Captain Ed Mamet. Say hello, Ed. Hello, uh, WABC podcast listeners. It's another day with my host, Kevin, and our guest. We have an interesting guest today, like we always do. So today's guest is Tom Kaza. Tom Kaza is a retired Secret Service agent. From 1983 to 2005, he served. He protected four U.S. presidents. He was also the director of the RNC 2016 convention in Cleveland, and also 2017, the Presidential Inauguration Committee. And he currently is president of Corporate Risk Security, specializing in independently providing protection and investigations for businesses, leaders, families at risk. Tom, welcome. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Nice to be here. So, Tom, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and your law enforcement background, as well as your security background. Um, I'm pleased to do so, Kevin. um, So, I come from a mindset uh, that I'm told from a very young age wanted to be in law enforcement. And uh, that really never wavered all the way through school and education and college. And was doing an internship and had planned on being a policeman and see where that takes me down the law enforcement career. Um, this was 1982. I did an internship with the Illinois State Police Detectives. Um, at that time, it was a Bureau of Investigation and got to see some very neat insight into the world of investigation in Illinois, in and around the Chicago area, and made a couple of good uh, friends who were mentoring me. And they steered me in the direction of the Secret Service, and I applied. Um, was pretty young, didn't really even expect to be considered. Being a policeman was a difficult challenge at that time to get the job. Chicago hadn't hired in a long time, and the suburbs were uh, not hiring much. You had to apply to a consortium, so you're... You could go to any one of the seven suburbs, and they were taking two people a year or so. Um, Secret Service called and kept calling, and it took a long uh, process. And into 1983, I got hired and and became a special agent. So um, it went down a a slightly different initial law enforcement path, and then that took me through my career. You mentioned what I had done. I was hired out of the Chicago office, um, and your initial assignment is um, work with a variety of senior agents in different jobs, uh, mostly investigations, uh, fraud investigations. At that time, computer fraud was, was being initiated as an investigation, was relatively new I mean, compared to where we are now. Threatening the president was another squad and uh, got to do that for a couple of years, was on a t- JTTF back in early 80s for two years, um, and chasing counterfeiters in the counterfeit money squad, which became uh, one of my favorites. And and later went on to do that here in New York. And after about eight years, got transferred to the president. So a little bit about the Secret Service's mission. The dual mission makes it interesting, at least from my my viewpoint and my former colleague's uh, viewpoint. It's really two jobs. One is an investigator, a federal investigator, investigating crimes, serving search warrants, writing affidavits, investigating and and operating under U.S. Code Title 18 and charging people. Uh, And then the second half of it is uh, the protection aspect of it. Um, So you leave the Office of Investigations and you get transferred to the Office of Protection. And uh, I went to the president uh, the late, very last year, um, served a little bit of time under Reagan's last months, and then uh, was permanently transferred into Bush Sr., President Bush Sr., and uh, ended up staying into about three years of President Clinton. And... um, 
then by the time the other presidents uh, came through, I, uh, I helped was one of the leaders of Bush 43's campaign detail. And then when he was elected, I went back to Chicago and finished my career as an agent in charge and retired out of that office. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about the origins of the Secret Service? As I recall, it had to do with uh, after the assassination of President Lincoln. Is that when the Secret Service really became yeah. what it is today? Captain, that's an interesting uh, little tidbit in here I'll give you for those that love history. Um, so <clears throat> Secret Service, well known for protecting the president, but they were created um, in 1865 by President Lincoln to combat counterfeiting. There, weren't, there was no Federal Reserve, so every state had their own currency. So counterfeiting was easy, state to state. And they had to try and figure out how to manage that and get it under control. And they, President uh, Lincoln grabbed a group of people he called operatives and signed an executive order uh, creating the U.S. Secret Service. And on an odd note, um, it's one of his last official acts. That night, he went to the theater and was assassinated. So... Uh, Secret Service didn't have anything to do with the protection of the president until 36 years later, which was 1901, following McKinley's assassination. Um, they had a small group of, uh, I believe, a D.C. policeman and a few others, and realized um, that had been the third assassination since 1865, that they better figure out how to protect the leader if they're going to elect them and then expect them to operate independently and with, without fear. And Secret Service assumed the role of responsibility, and that's where the dual mission initiated. That's quite interesting. Uh, brings me to another uh, question. What's going on today with the with Hamas, uh, support to Hamas in this country, which is very surprising, and the demonstration that have been taking place, I'm assuming that the Secret Service is uh, has been alerted and it must have some kind of role in, with, in, in the situation for today. Am I correct? Well, yeah, their role in protecting the leader means learning of threats, discovering threats, and then protecting against those threats and mitigating them. So you can bet that they are paying attention to the world's intelligence, always have. Um, and that comes from a variety of things, whether that's the lone gunman um, or the uh, emotionally disturbed person that has got bizarre thoughts and, and going down the wrong road of, of wanting to cause harm that we, we see in a lot of different areas, to sophisticated terrorist attacks. So it covers all levels. But, um, yeah, you can bet that they're in constant contact with all of their in the intelligence community to learn how is it affecting their job, be able to do their job preventatively. And do you remember the movie with Clint Eastwood where he said, aim high? Yeah, I do remember. <laughs> I do remember. Is there, is I knew there, a couple of agents that helped uh, that helped the directors go through that movie. And, was and, there any resemblance to real, uh, real life in that movie? I think uh, Melkovich, but if that's the one you're speaking of, Melkovich yes. played a pretty good crazy man. So, right. Uh, that's where he put the gun in, he let the agent put his gun in his mouth. Yeah, right. I'm not sure that was part of the script. <laughs> I heard that it was not. Yeah, exactly. He did that on his own. Uh, you protected uh, four presidents. Can you talk about uh, the, the uh, challenges of protecting the leaders of the free world? I mean, our free world, the U.S.? Yeah, I believe, you know, I'm, I'm obviously biased. I believe the Secret Service runs with the idea of a, um extreme standard of excellence to try and do that job. And one of the challenges to get a young agent, I believe, is recognizing how constant that has to be. It's not, it's not turned off or turned down or we've got a break. Um, when you're working, obviously you're on, but 
that's happening 24-7 at a very high level. And so the challenge is, is to stay abreast of, of where you're going. Obviously, big events get a lot of attention, but there's a lot of small events. A day trip, you hear the president's going to X country or X city for two hours. That's been a lot of work for a couple of advanced teams in those cities. So the challenges present themselves uniquely to a lot of events, whether it's a hotel situation or the landing zone or the airport. And that's all considered, you know, it's always done with a fresh eye. Um, You don't necessarily say, well, we do that all the time and that's just the way we do it. Um, Even the routine stuff is done oftentimes by new agents getting a chance to learn and maybe they see something that somebody else didn't have. And I know we're going to talk about technology a little bit down the road, but um, the challenges are this just keeps on changing. The new threats are available. New technology creates threats that are available. So what I'm listening to should know is that the Secret Service relies quite heavily on local law enforcement to augment their duties when the president comes to a location. Because I recall when I was in the police department, I was in the intelligence division, and we had a a unit that specifically was uh, involved with uh, working with the Secret Service whenever the president came. Because you just don't have the manpower on some of these situations, correct? Yeah, that's right. And and I'm glad you you mentioned that, Captain, because it's it's— it's bred into the culture at a very early portion of your career, the value of the relationship with the police officers. So when I mentioned chasing counterfeiters or mentioned chasing fraud, um, that involves detectives from every suburb, every city, every sheriff's department, that there are agents who have the liaison responsibility. And it, it's really a mutual respect that's tr- that you try to build versus, um, oh, we're in charge of the president and just, you know, try and help out. So, and, and doing that with, with the investigation um, builds relationships. As you know, when you work with somebody, uh, having, a, having a, a, a relationship of knowing what that person is about and how that department operates so that when you get a visit and the protection team has to come in, that particular town Anywhere in the country, major city, small town, countryside, those agents from that district know those police officers. So even though the president's detail is sending people out there to make sure it meets meets the president's detail standards, it's done in conjunction with those local agents and those local police to work out... You know, the individual idiosyncrasies that you might encounter, whether it's a rural sheriff's department or a lot of, I mean, the, the mission is the same, but often the methods can vary from police department to police department. So knowing those police versus just being a couple of suits that show up on game day and wash everybody around, that's not the mantra at all. So, Tom, that brings me to my next question. Basically, what's the you know Secret Service role in coordinating with the local police departments for the visits of the presidents as well as VIPs? Um, what's the protocol? You know, like in NYPD, I believe you you guys come in and meet with the intelligence division and yeah. set the stage. So, um, is that correct? It is correct. Every department has their own protocols, right? So, a big city, particularly the biggest here in in New York, has an, a completely outlined plan where intelligence takes the lead representing the New York Police Department and the, and the different various chiefs' wishes for the way they want this operation to go. And then the agents come in with their standards, and they mesh. And they basically say, <clears throat> um, here's our plan. Here's what we're told the president's going to do. Here's his schedule. Secret Service cares about a, a couple of things, and that is schedule and plan. You tell us what you want to do. We'll build you a plan 
and it helps if you can do it on time because it involves so many people and so much different uh, entities. And then you sit down at what's called an initial police meeting. So the agents come from D.C., they meet with the New York field office agents, they then go meet with the intelligence division and every representative of every department that it's going to touch, which can be barricades and it can be uh, you know, streets and sands or whatever it's called in, in here. And all the different entities that are going to be touched from parking to uh, all the things that go into a large-scale event. And then you progress through it and walk through it, kind of discover what are you going to be your sticking points, what are the challenges, routinely meet with the president's staff so that they are telling you what they want you to do and that you can expedite their wishes so people can get into the event, people can be on time and get checks for security properly, so that security is not the problem for the event. Tell us about some, maybe some difficult uh, assignments you've had in uh, your Secret Service experience. You know, on the protection side, you can, you can end up in a very, very small rural location where getting assets is difficult. That's, that can be a challenge. I've seen, we've done everything from a, a presidential train trip where you're coming through, sometimes not even stopping, but yet for that moment of a stretch of a couple of miles, you're in that district with the president on a train, so you have to have assets to be able to determine if there's a problem, how do we communicate with with the people, to the biggest side of things, which would be New York City and L.A., Chicago, and the other major cities, the disruption you cause um, when you shut down traffic. I think every New Yorker knows when the U.N. is occur- occurring. Frozen uh, areas, frozen zones. But um, I mean, me personally, I uh, some of my, my bigger roles were uh, the Pope, Mass in Central Park in October of 95. That was, um, I'm proud to, to have been part of a team that put together quite the event security-wise in Central Park with with Intel and with uh, every, I mean, every aspect of NYPD you could uh, you could imagine uh, that went into that visit. It was a very big, big visit with hundreds of thousands, if not a million people between Central Park West and Park Avenue, uh, along with the, the seated guests. And to give you, a, in, like the president's, or the uh, president, or the Pope's altar was seven stories off the ground in Central Park. So this is not just somebody in front of a crowd. This is quite the event. So that was, uh, that was one. I was, one, I was part of... Um, the advance team at Madison Square Garden after Rabin was assassinated within a day or two. Uh, Mrs. Rabin and the vice president came to Madison Square Garden for a service. Um, so you don't have much time to put together a, a plan to, they call it mag, uh, to mag, but to have people go through a metal detector, a magnetometer, and check for weapons when you have to do about 25,000 people in an hour and a half or some version of that. UNGA. Every year is a big challenge. That's hundreds of heads of state. Uh, I was part of UNGA 50, which at the time was about 160-some heads of state here in New York, um, coordinating all the hotels for uh, the security for each hotel that oftentimes many of them have up to eight heads of state in them, and then coordinating the, the PD role in asking for what assets you need. There's a top level of, of heads of state that get a, quite a bit of of, let's um, say, heavy weapons support that NYPD provides. Um, and then scaling that down to some people who just get a couple, couple of leaders, just, just get a couple of cars and motorcade support. Um, I believe now UNGAs talk about aging ourselves, but we're, I believe now they've even been past 
that's more than 25 years ago. So they've been UNG age 75. So time keeps going and the job keeps getting done, as they say. Right. Yeah. Getting back to 1995, when the Pope was here, I was assigned to Aqueduct when he was out in Aqueduct Raceway. Oh, yeah. And he did a mass out there. I right. was assigned to that. And then 2004, with the RNC, which you mentioned, here at Madison Square Garden, I was assigned to Bill Friss, who was the uh, majority leader, Senate majority okay. leader. right. And I was assigned to him and his family for three weeks throughout the entire RNC for 2004. Probably working with Capitol Hill Police. and Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Secret Service as well. But yep. Capitol Police was assigned to Bill Frist, exactly. And um, great guys, great bunch of guys. We still stay in touch, actually. That's nice, right. So, uh, uh, Captain? You, you mentioned uh, UNGA. For our listeners, that stands for the UN General Assembly. That's every year in October. The police department calls it UNGA. 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 <laughs> Maybe the Secret well, Service can we, pick up on that. Yeah. We so used to call it overtime. The, <laughs> overtime. Speak the same language. Uh, you've heard that, Unga? I have heard that, yeah. So that's, that's the PD acronym. Um, how do you stay, how does Secret Service stay uh, up to date on latest, uh, latest threats and security trends? You know, they've got a research department that is constantly... Um, evaluating equipment and needs. Um, I would say early in my career, there was a hesitancy to use commercial devices as part of your team. We were pretty unique with what we used, but I I believe uh, that, you know, technology has gone to a rate where uh, they've got good relationships with companies uh, from around the world that build security devices and technolo technological advances that help mitigate risk. But it's ever-changing. I mean, I, I would say, you know, when I retired in 05, drones were not a concern. And now that's a major, that's a major section that worries about a drone, you know, carrying a sack into an event or over an event and dropping something or so to speak. So when there's a, a mantra that we provide 360 degree coverage, and that means that that means whatever you're standing on, what's below you and what's above you. And with drones and that type of technology, that change is just another game changer that they have to worry about. Do the agents still carry Uzis under their jackets? You know, uh, is that a secret? Yeah, no, no. I think it is a secret. But the Uzis, um, the Uzis went away uh, quite some years ago and were replaced with a um, a, a different semi-automatic uh, or automatic machine gun. And uh, they keep, you know, new ones keep getting invented and cut down in size and greater ability. And every so many years, they reevaluate that, and you find out you're getting a new gun or a new weapon to learn and train on. Tom, how would you say the uh, professional security role has changed in the recent years with everything going on in this world today? You know, I saw that on there, Kevin, and, I, and it's a good, it's a good um, inquisitive point, I think. <clears throat> and I would say early years of security. Now, keep in mind, the president's protected because it's law. Um, and he, he or she, <clears throat> she, if that occurs, won't don't have the option to say no. That doesn't mean they can't influence what you do and how you do it and make their wishes known. But at the end of the day, you have to come to some agreement because the responsibility is based on law. So for the president, it's mandated and it's necessary. For people, individual security uh, companies and corporate entities, and it's up to them. So it really is how seriously they take it. Um, I'd love to, to think that they're smart and they take it on a preventative view 
going forward to try and eliminate risk, um, and, and many more do. So I would say the biggest difference is more do than used do, but um, there's still a reactionary culture that exists that um, it's easier to buy the fire detect smoke detector after you have a fire than it is to think I'm going to have one. And, and that still carries through. Um, it's a budget item for companies that doesn't get a lot of return if you don't have a vision on what you're saving. Um, although that keeps getting better, it wasn't that many years ago um, where if you went to a stadium, you didn't go through a magnetometer. You bought your ticket, got counted, and went in. Right. Now it's almost 100%. And in fact, I think the perception by the public has changed where if you showed up at a major sporting event and weren't checked, it would be seem weird. Why aren't I being checked? Like, why doesn't this, these people care about security? So there's more acceptance from people um, that doors are locked and security entries are, con are, are controlled. And I remember when announcing that there was going to be security was a big announcement and everybody had to pay attention to it. Now it's expected. That would be my view. Artificial intelligence has become a big deal these days. Um, I've heard that. <laughs> okay. How would that affect the workings of the uh, Secret Service in coming years? Would they be using it? Yeah, I, I would tell you I think they'll be using it to gather information and evaluate information. And then it'd be two-pronged. They'll be using it to try and help them, and they'll be using it to try and figure out how it's going to hurt them. And how is it going to help an adversary plan, carry out, learn, um, and, and create a risk that might have been more difficult to put together. In some regards, we've been using it in a lot of ways. I mean, it's not completely new. The sophistication level is going to go to a new level, I believe. But compared to the old days of, of uh, the early years of law enforcement where everything was go check it yourself, now between Facebook and uh, the, an agent or, an, or a detective can gather a ton of information before they ever go on the, their, leave the office for their first visit somewhere. So there's a lot of intelligence being out there that's put together that's now at your fingertips that you used to have to struggle to get. I understand that this is going to take that times 100, so we'll see where that equals. I realize that the um, Secret Service role is kind of narrowly focused, but regarding law enforcement in general on all, on all levels, I'm sure you have an opinion on that. Um, as you know, there's been a lot of criticism about law enforcement ever since the George... Lloyd incident, and you're a worldly guy. What's your opinion on uh, on that? Well, you know, I, uh, criticism has always been there. It's certainly stepped up, and some of it's deserved. Um, I don't believe the levels deserved compared to um, the amount of good that is done. It's been a one-sided story. Um, I understand the outrage and the changes that need to be made. Uh, and are being made, but it's it's so we talk about the intelligence and, and the amount of information that's out there. Every viral video of a bad act is just multiplied. Um, but keep in mind, there are millions of nine one one calls being handled. Um, many under duress or under strain, or not, there's not many nine one one calls where everybody's just going to chat. Um, we don't see those. We don't see the successes. Um, so I wish there was more of a a metric that could get people. You know, we're we're a country, 
or, a, or we're a society, not just a country, the world, that operates off of what you see is what you know. And, you know, you can say the migrant crisis and you can say that, I think to an average person, they don't see it. They don't feel it. Because it's down there and it's, it's, it's you know, man, it sounds like it's terrible, but it's not here. Well, now it is here. It's right over here on 44th Street. So now people are going, whoa, there is, I, now I know what they're talking about. So you start to see reaction. I hope the template swings back to support law enforcement a little bit more uh, because people are starting to see the consequences of cutting back on police, cutting budgets of police, not enforcing the existing laws, not charging people, um, how many people commit a crime, post no bail, get back out, commit the same crime. When you just say that, it means little. When you start to see the deterioration and the fear that that can bring, I think you'll start to see it swing back. I hope so. Yeah, well, there's the old adage, uh, what's a uh, conservative, a liberal that's been mugged? Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> Tom, uh, with the Secret Service, how's recruitment these days? You know, um, boy, in, in my, um, I, when I came on, I felt lucky to come on. Um, uh, there was uh, finally a hiring uh, that took place, but we remained a very relatively small agency for a long time. Um, when I first came on, it was 1,700 agents. It went to 18 and 1,900. It stayed around 2,100 for a very long time. I don't know the current number, but I'd, I'd estimate it's 4,500 or more expanded roles, computer crime, bigger protection missions, um, and and uh, so the. I think I think they struggle with the rest of law enforcement and in and 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 many much a society that is trying to find a good workforce. So um, they put forth good efforts. I see them on some of our uh, mailings in my in my you know my old world. They keep in touch. Um, and uh, when I talk to the people, they're hiring a very talented group of people. Um, the standards are high, and and hopefully they continue to to keep bringing those people because I, I'm a big believer in the mission. How many uh, personnel does Secret Service have? Do you know? You know, total is, is probably six, 6,500 to 7,000. There's okay. a large support staff. That's uniform and as well? It's uniform, um, uniform division that protects the White House, the vice president's uh, residence, um, and, and sections of D.C. in and around the property and embassies, in and, in and around embassies. Um, and uh, they've, they've taken on a very more active role. They travel uh, and run the dog program. They bring the dogs that, uh, and counter sniper units and, uh, and um, the specialty units around the White House. And then they also run all the magnetometers. So if you go to an event, they're checking everybody. That's a huge role and a very uh, man, manpower intensive role. Um, because uh, they do it at such a high level. It's a much different than going through the normal magnetometer in a sports event or something like that. Traditionally, does the Secret Service start in uniform and then you go to uh, you know, protection? Um, early on, I, I didn't feel that way. Um, guys guys and, and women that wanted to go into uniform division sort of went into uniform division and, and stayed there. Okay. It was its own. Um, I think that started to change many years ago, um, and we brought on a lot of officers. In my viewpoint, it helped uh, morale a little bit, and you you, know, you you can start and work your way into something else if you want it, upward and onward, but uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Tom, what are some of the uh, most valuable lessons you've learned protecting some high-profile leaders? 
Um, I, I felt fortunate to be able to learn, um, learn things at the highest level of what the Secret Service wanted. I think, the, I think we bring that knowledge anywhere we go in the world. There are some countries that, that um, we can learn from and that um, do it at a very high level. I, I don't believe there's many that do it at the sophisticated level um, that we ask for 24-7. Um, and you know that's demanding. Um, I believe you. I, I believe you can be diplomatic. And I, I read. Um, I believe it was Colin Powell um, has a quote that diplomacy is only a very nice way of getting what you want. And so when we were Secret Service, there wasn't a lot of leeway to just give away. We had to reach a certain level. So how you get there, maybe that's why the advance takes many days and not just a couple. You you have to get people to want to reach the level that you want it to be at. And if, if at the end you have to force that a little bit, then that's what you have to do. But most people come to an agreement. I think if, you, if you're in New York, you're used to it. You get, and you know, those, those officers, detectives, and intel and the, and the bosses, they all know what's coming. But if you've never had a presidential visit, I think you're going to be surprised at the demands that go into every step along the way, whether that's walking from the chopper to the car or walking through the hotel or walking. It's, um, it's demanding. So I think there is a, um, a desire to meticulously go over it, and that takes time sometimes for people to grasp. Sure, sure. Uh, being the president of Corporate Risk Group, uh, what is your plans? You know, I've, I focus on um, on primarily uh, upper echelon executives or ultra high net worth families that aren't covered by their security department, um, and try to troubleshoot their risks and security concerns or investigations. Um, particularly the ultra wealthy who have. Um, they have risks that um, that they may not even know about, whether they hired somebody or didn't fire somebody properly um, or are being stolen from. Um, and oftentimes it falls under the radar compared to their corporation that has a security department. Um, and I've been doing this a long time now, Kevin, so I'm <laughs> I'm trying to just stay focused on, the, on what I've got. Yeah. So. Any other interesting projects uh, lined up, personal or professional, uh, on the horizon? No, I told you earlier. I'm I'm pleased. Um, been getting to New York a lot more, and um, this is a, a a great energetic city. And um, yes, it is. You know that's nice. Um, as you know, I got a little guy and a, a wonderful family. So um, many many years of not worrying about that, and that's what I worry about now. Right. Now, tell our audience some some good stories when you were protecting the presence. So <laughs> is that is that for your book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's we'll, we'll save that for the. You can't uh, tell us one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> going like someone forgot a toothbrush or something. <laughs> no, you know what? I enjoy the. Um, I, I think people would be surprised. At, you see the you see the seriousness when you you know the only Secret Service you see are the ones on the coming and going with the president, and they're pretty serious. And I used to say, well, you you get told the intelligence that's out there and then go stand next to that person. And, if, you know, if, if you were clowning and laughing, somebody would be wondering what's wrong with you. So it's a serious role, but, the um, you know, it's a great, great group of people that are um, very well-read, very witty. So the anecdotes are endless with the comments and and every president keep in mind you're there along you're there a lot so there is a little bit of banter that goes on and off but um for the most part it's a pretty serious 
uh, undertaking when you're working because it's a big operation, as you know. There's a large press contingency, a lot of military support, a lot of intelligence support, and uh, there's not a lot of casual time for most presidents. Yeah. I mean, you know, my personal experience when I used to be assigned UNGER, as we said, United Nations General Assembly, UNGER, slash overtime, uh, it was a great experience working with the Secret Service and the Capitol Police, especially the Secret Service. Everybody was a gentleman, and uh, everybody was great to work with, and uh, everyone got along. It was perfect because um, NYPD, you know, you need us to get you around town, you know, and because most of you guys, you yeah. know, are coming from all different uh, areas. And that's what we did. That's what the NYPD continues to do and work alongside Secret Service when they have dignitaries come to New York. Captain? Are you going to write about some of the escapades attributed to the late President Kennedy? No. (laughs) (laughs) Captain, some answers are easy. And when you say, are you going to write, I already know the answer. No. Well, let me give you a little little (laughs) anecdote. When I was a young young, um, sergeant, we, uh, we were president. We were on a detail with the president. The Secret Service guys told me they had a tough time with him because they always used the Waldorf Astoria, which was set up very well for presidential security. And they said Kennedy would always sneak out. Uh, he, he preferred that other hotel. I think it was the Lorelei or the uh, Lorelei. I forgot what it was, where the security was kind of lax. And he liked that place because he could evade the Secret Service <laughs> And, and do whatever he was doing. Did you ever hear those stories? I've heard all of those stories. And I, there are some good ones going back. I think they um, they diminish now with the with the scrutiny and the it's um, as you know in all law enforcement it's tightened up. I thought of a New York story to give you, Kevin. The okay. um, I uh, it, it relates to the PD. I, I before I was transferred to New York and Chase Counterfeiters up here for four years, which was actually one of the highlights of the entire career was New York City's investigative teams. Um, I was assigned to President Clinton's um, first visit to New York as, when he was president. And no Republican had um, stayed overnight since prior to Reagan, or, you know, Jimmy Carter. But since Jimmy Carter, no, no because it was Republican and, and there wasn't a, you know, there was nothing that they were going to do in the city after, after the uh, UNGA event. So um, President Clinton is going to stay four nights. So we went from no nights to four nights, and I was the lead advance agent. So uh, that means I have the team. I've got the New York agents. I've got the the presidential team coming up, and we're going to go meet with the agent in charge of the Secret Service in New York at that time. Uh, uh, God rest his soul. He passed, and he was a he was a great great guy, and a, and a but he was a tough leader, and he. He expected things the way he wanted them. So he pulls me aside, and we're going to our first police meeting at 1PP. And he says, listen, I know you guys usually run this meeting, but uh, here it's run by a chief, and we let him run it, and then you get to say what you want. But really, don't don't say anything unless unless you think it's time. You know, let's just, let's just get through this first meeting. So we're running through the meeting, and we had to prepare for President Clinton running in Central Park. But it's what, you know, we were learning it too. He was a new president and we're trying to figure out how we're going to do business. And they wanted to shut down everything from the Waldorf to Central Park every morning in case he ran. And that would be, so I I tried to discourage that. And there was a debate and some chiefs wanted it. And keep in mind, I learned learned a lot about NYPD being assigned here. But prior to that, I only knew from my small amounts of time and UNGA visits. So we walked to 1PP and chiefs running through the meeting. 
and they're they're running through where he's going to go, and he's going to stop in Queens on the way in. He's we're going to go here. We're going to the Hilton, big event at the Sheridan, staying at the Waldorf. We're going to run, and so they can't decide on this run. And he says, uh, "Okay, then let's let's take that into the Chiefs conference room after this meeting." And he so the the sack tells me, "Let's go," and it's just him and I. And I get in there, and there's eight Chiefs. And I'm thinking to myself, I've been all over the world. I've never seen eight chiefs in one location. What are they? What are these chiefs? And they, they he, they're explaining to me who, who everybody is. And the head chief, chief of department, stands up and says, uh, "All right, agent, tell, you go." And I look over at this guy that told me to shut up, and I'm like, "Is this where I get to say something?" Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. says, "Yeah, now would be the time." And we got through it, and it was a neat event. But yeah. um, you remember the chief's name? Who it was or? Um, you know, what year, I, was it, what year was it? Anamone was who was okay. with the Pope and Unga 50, but I don't remember if that was him during, during, uh, that trip or not. But, uh, there were some that, that just totally wanted it to be completely shut down. And we ended up compromising with just a couple of cars at every intersection and a semi shut down yeah, on a maybe, yeah, but, yeah. and we did end up going up there and running. So, oh, you did? It okay. did yeah. But, so you actually, um, did you actually run with them? They, Secret Service guys have to run. Secret right? Service ran. Yeah. yeah, I ran with them uh, some. Uh, I can tell you, there were some times when he was running much better than anybody would have anticipated. Wow. Um, and uh, running, you know, running the mall was the challenge in DC because there's so many people hanging around right. there. You don't know who's who, but. Right. Uh, when he, oftentimes on the road you could show up and run, right. and by the time anybody figured out that you were there, you were gone. Right. So, right. but uh, well, Central Park, I guess logistics with the car, the place the car stage the car where it needs to be because yeah. Central. Well, Park I think we went up by the <coughs> we ran around the reservoir. Okay, and, so that's simple. And okay. we're that's able easy to enough. parallel with the cars, yeah. etc. Well, that's good. That's good. That's good. Not your normal run in the park. No, no, no. no. So I guess when we have lunch later, we could talk about some of the stories you'd want to say on the we, podcast. We, we got more. We, good. we got more. We can go into. <laughs> well, it's been a great interview, and uh, we're glad to have you, Tom. I appreciate you coming here today, and God bless the men and women in the Secret Service, U.S. Secret Service. And you and I go back a while, and we've had some fun in Washington D.C. and Cleveland as well. Exactly. We won't talk about that here, <laughs> but all good times, all good times, and good work. We work together well, and uh, thank you for your service, um, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Kaiser, our guest today. Retired U.S. Secret Service. My name is Kevin Schroeder, and you've been listening to another episode of Cop Talk. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, and you can follow us on Twitter at Cop Talk WABC. That's at Cop Talk WABC. Until next time, be safe out there. Thank you. Thank you.